Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that we would be given the grace to receive all of the children that you are ready to give us and to receive them as you received them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Thank you. And you can turn in your Bibles to Luke, our gospel reading today, Luke chapter 18. Verses 15 through 17. Not long ago, I was at an outdoor gathering. We had masks on. And someone brought their little baby girl. And it's been a while since I've been able to hold a baby of my own. So I was like, oh, give the baby to me. Give the baby to me. You know, and so I took the baby girl around and, you know, greeting people like, hey, what's up? I have a baby, you know, and um, kind of a conversation piece, a cute and cuddly um, little human being, and it was really fun. It was really enjoyable. It was even cozy. And, uh, but then as I was carrying the baby around, I noticed that there was like, there was like a uh, little sound, a little disquiet, a little stirring, you know, and then the stirring got more pronounced and it was very clear. The baby was like, ah, you know, I have a problem. You, it's like, I have an unmet need. And so my instinct was immediately to be like, all right, mom, here you go. Not my problem anymore. Babies are cute and cuddly for about 48 seconds. And uh, and then they become, they let their needs become known. We realize that they need to be fed. They need to be held. They need to be comforted. They need to have their diaper changed. It's one thing to kind of like have a minute or two with a cuddly little baby that's so cute and so adorable. Um, It's another thing to give your very life for a small, helpless baby. Day after day, hour after hour, until your body aches and they never say thank you. Our psalmist says, children are a gift from God. Children are a gift from God. And I'll take out the gift that I showed you last week, the gift that God gives us. Babies are not a sacrament, but they have a sacramental quality in that they are a visible sign of God's invisible love. They are also a visible sign of our way into the kingdom. Babies are a gift from God to receive. They are not a burden to reject. Babies are a gift from God to receive but the whole church has to receive the babies God sends us. They're not a burden to reject. They're not a hindrance to our life. They aren't a hindrance to our calling. They, they actually are a symbol of our calling as a church. Our gospel text this morning shows us what we are tempted to do, which is to reject the gift of children, reject the gift of babies. And be like, hey, you know what? This isn't my call. This is your call. Someone else will do it. Someone else will have the children. Someone else will catechize the children. Someone else will take care of all of the needs of the babies God sends. That's what the disciples were doing. We can look in verse 15 that Jesus' own disciples, the people that he was pouring himself into, tried to hinder babies from getting close to Jesus. 
Look at verse 15 with me. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. They were bringing even infants. I mean, the gall to bring even infants to Jesus that he might touch them. The disciples rise up and rebuke the parents bringing their children. The ancient world did not look favorably on babies. We have some measure of understanding that babies are cute, cuddly. The ancient world did not. Um, they were, um, this phrase, even, even infants, is a little bit of a clue. Like, can you believe that even infants were being brought to Jesus? It was somewhat of a scandal. People in the first century saw babies and children as just not adults. And therefore, like only a hindrance to the adults. Babies weren't seen as cute and cuddly, but they were despised actually for their vulnerability. Their vulnerability was something that people looked down on. Um, and so all over the Roman Empire, look in almost any alleyway, you find abandoned babies, abandoned children to die, abandoned to death, or abandoned to be scooped up by slave traders. Parents were free. Society like gave parents the freedom to either accept the babies that were born or to reject them. In fact, the phrase raising a child refers to the moment where a new baby is brought to the, the uh, head of household, the father of the house. And if he picks the baby up and raises that, that means that, okay, I accept that this is child is mine and ours. We're going to take care of it. If he leaves the child uh, without being picked up, that means this is not my child. Send the child away. The babies that were raised often didn't live past the age of 10 years old. Um, they, often, they often died because of disease and hunger and um, other complications. So human value was not conferred at birth. This idea of the image of God and, and of innocence and of potential, it's like babies did not, they did not see babies that way. You had to prove your worth by how long you lived and how useful you became. And so infants were often unwanted and unworthy in the eyes of adults. So imagine that in this setting, there's the throng of young parents and caregivers and mothers, like they've got their babies and they're trying to get close to Jesus. And the babies have snot, right? And they're hungry and they're crying and they smell fresh. And the moms are trying to, or the parents are trying to get close to Jesus. Like, Jesus, can you touch my baby? Jesus, can you heal my baby? Jesus, can you bless my baby? Like arms outstretched, Jesus, to take this child, bless it, confer your, your, your love upon this child. I've seen the way you've like loved the poor and loved those with leprosy. Like, would you love this little child? And you can see the disciples with their arms outstretched like this, not to receive, but to, to keep out. Keep out burdens. Keep the crying away from me. Keep the snot away. This is the king of Jerusalem. He's going to cleanse the temple. He's going to receive a kingdom. There's a rich young ruler waiting in the wings. He does not have time for your children. He does not have time for your babies. Now, if we were honest, there's a part of each one of us that might have might have responded in the same way. How do we respond when we hear a baby cry? 
and not in a cute way, but in a it's time for my needs to get met kind of way. Have you ever been on an airplane with a crying baby or a restaurant with a crying baby, fussy child, or a bus? And have you ever had the thought, why don't they shut that baby up? Why don't they take that baby out of the room? Like, we're trying to have a conversation. We're trying to get something done here. Like, babies don't belong here. Um, the caregivers of those babies are all too aware of the wrath and indignation of the people around them. All too aware. They're doing everything possible most of the time to soothe and take care of their children. Um, if you have more than one child, especially if you have several children, um, you often get the question as a parent, like, are these all yours? Wow, you have your hands full. Do you know how this works? Don't you care about the environment? Babies are still often met with hostility and rebuke, and they're seen as a hindrance and a burden rather than a gift. The disciples kind of help us see the self-protective part of us that says, I don't want this gift of a baby. I have more important things to do. And they reject the gift, and we're tempted to reject it also. But look at what Jesus does. Verse 16, Jesus called to them, called to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the children of God. Jesus says, do not hinder the children. Let them get close. They aren't hindrances to my kingdom. They are inheritors of the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus invites his disciples and us to receive the babies who will receive the kingdom. Jesus invites us to receive the babies who will receive the kingdom. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ who will carry the kingdom into the next generation. And the kingdom belongs to them. Jesus says to his disciples, in other words, everything I'm doing is for them. I'm going to Jerusalem for them. I'm cleansing the temple for them. I'm going to the cross for them. I'm going to be raised from the dead for them. I'm sending my spirit for them to receive. Don't hinder them. Like Receive them because they're going to be the ones who inherit everything that I've come to do. So by all means, let those little children come to me. The children with the snot running down their nose. The children with complications. The children who are hungry. The children who are needy. The children with Down syndrome. The, the children who um, don't quite know what's happening. The children who can't articulate their faith yet. Bring them to me. I want to bless them and hold them so that they can inherit the kingdom. Think about it this way. What has God given to you that you appreciate? What great inheritance are you holding in your life right now? Are you carrying in day in and day out? The word of God, the sacraments, the church, the gospel, the, the book of common prayer. The diocese that we have, this wonderful place that we have with, with, with our wider spiritual family. Isn't it wonderful to be able to worship? Isn't it wonderful to be able to hear the word of God? Well, all of these things, one day our hands will be too frail to hold them. 
We'll need another generation to, to receive it and carry it forward. Jesus has the foresight to know that today's babies are tomorrow's spiritual mothers and fathers, tomorrow's cancer researchers, tomorrow's janitors, tomorrow's artists and leaders and deacons and disciples. So will we receive them as Jesus entrusts them to us? Pretend it's Christmas morning and you're the parent and you've wrapped a lot of these. You've carefully selected a lot of presents for your children and you've wrapped them and you put the names on the, on the presents and they're opening the presents and some of the presents, they're like, yes, thank you, mom and dad. I love this. And other presents, they're like, you know what? I don't really want this. Here you go. Can you just, you can, you can have this present. I don't really want it. I don't really know what it means. I'd be so sad. It would be a loss. How much better would it be if your kids responded with, hey, mom, hey, dad, you got me this gift. I don't quite understand it, but I know that because it's from you, it must be good. Would you teach me how to receive this gift? Would you help me make it part of my life? And that's the same approach that we can come to the father with. Instead of like, I don't want this baby. I don't want this child. I don't want this complication. Rather, would you, father, help me know how to receive this gift and make it a part of my life? So if children are a gift from God to receive rather than a burden to reject, how can we receive them so that they can receive the kingdom? Here are some practical ways for us as Emmanuel Anglican Church to receive the gift of babies. One way is that we can foster, and in some cases, adopt children. Did you know that there are babies and children all over Chicago that are in very vulnerable situations right now? And they have caregivers that from time to time run into situations where they actually need a safe home to care for the child. Maybe it's for an hour, or a few hours, or a day, or a few days. It doesn't have to be a home with kids. It doesn't have to be a home with a married couple. It could be an apartment with roommates. They simply need a safe place. What, what a better place for babies to go than the homes that we have all been praying over and blessing these sacramental households that have been set apart for the purpose of serving the living God. What a better way to serve the Lord than to receive the most vulnerable babies from all over our city. Organizations like Safe Families partner what we can give and what needs are out there. That's one way. Another way is that those who are married sacramentally and of childbearing age and health can open themselves up to the gift of life. A key reason why God brings people together, like one of the reasons, one of the purposes that he brings people together for a sacramental marriage is, to, is so that they can bring children into the world to co-create with him. I remember my great reluctance to become a father. Um, when Laura and I were early in our marriage, I wanted to wait to receive the gift of children longer than she wanted to wait. And I didn't have any good reason to wait other than just it's complicated. I don't think I'm ready yet. I didn't want to make that 
sacrifice just yet, that 20-year sacrifice of giving significantly of your time and energy and resources, of slowing down other things to devote to the next generation, of leaving parties early and coming to parties late (laughs) and giving up a lot, of limiting your options. Yet now I see, now I see what a gift and an honor it is to become a father. And it's such a joy to receive children as the Lord received them. It took me some time. Rather than limiting my life, I want to just tell you that it has expanded my life, expanded my soul, expanded my own ability to receive because this was the calling God had for me. And it is the calling God has for his whole church, not his parents. Um, We have needed the church every step of the way to raise our kids. One of the things that sacramental churches do is they receive the gift of children together. It takes a whole church to receive a baby, not just the parents. We need a whole church to take these babies, to give meals to the parents, to give catechism to the children when they're ready to receive it, to pray, to support, to play with, and to become godparents and aunts and uncles and a whole spiritual family to come around any new child that is adopted, any new child that is received, any new child that is born. It takes a whole church to get around. And so I want to ask every one of you to be on the lookout for babies that are adopted, to be on the lookout for babies that are fostered, to look out for babies that are born and to say, we'll get behind you. We will make meals for you. We may not even make meals for ourselves, but I'll make a meal for you. I'll come around you. I'll be the godparent of this child. I'll pray for this child. I will sign up for uh, Sunday school to teach this child. There's a wonderful liturgy in the Book of Common Prayer on page 215. It's called Thanksgiving for the birth or adoption of a child. This is part of the life of prayer that we all share together. You could be in a city group with someone who has fostered or who has given birth to a baby and pray this with them over Zoom or pray with this, pray this with them in the hospital. You don't have to be ordained to pray Thanksgiving for the birth of a child. I'll give you a little sample of what this, uh, what's in this. Oh God, you have taught us through your blessed son that whoever receives a little child in the name of Jesus receives Christ himself. We give thanks for the blessing you have bestowed upon this family in giving them this child. Confirm their joy by a lively sense of your presence with them and give them calm strength and patient wisdom as they seek to bring this child to love all that is true and noble, just and pure, lovable and gracious, excellent and admirable following the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Boy, what a high calling and what a wonderful prayer. How about this from the same service? O eternal God, you have promised to be a father to a thousand generations of those who love and fear you. Bless this child and preserve her life. Receive her and enable her to receive you, that through your grace and the sacrament of baptism, she may become the child of God, Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
you can pray that service. Now, the sacrament of baptism. I can't talk about babies without talking about why we do infant baptism at Emmanuel Anglican. As Anglican Christians, we teach that through baptism, children become inheritors of the kingdom of God in a way they can't even articulate yet. We believe that they are made full participants in the family of God. They receive forgiveness of sins, the grace of the Holy Spirit. And you might be thinking, why would a church baptize infants if they cannot yet profess faith in Christ? Why not wait until they can choose for themselves? Isn't this work salvation, you might be thinking? Isn't this empty ritualism? Um, why doesn't the scriptures give us more direct examples of infant baptism? Why doesn't it tell us to baptize infants if we um, are supposed to? And I want to just say, like, those are great questions. You may not agree with this teaching on infant baptism. Um, you're still welcome to become a member of Emmanuel Anglican Church and a full participant at Emmanuel Anglican Church. This is not something that we divide over, even though it is something that we teach and practice. I appreciate also the high view of scripture that are represented in those questions. My view on this has changed after studying scripture and church history, and then also worshiping in sacramental churches and seeing the impact of infant baptism. So I want to give you an initial response from the scriptures, why we baptize infants. You may not agree with my conclusions, I still welcome you as a brother in Christ and as the priest of this church into the church. Our gospel lesson was taken from volume one of Luke's account of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Gospel of Luke. He wrote volume two also, which is the book of Acts. Um, and in the book of Acts, he documents the spread of Christianity. Peter get, getting up on the day of Pentecost saying, this promise of the gospel is for you and your household. And he preached that to Jews who were in the practice of circumcising their children as a covenant sign. Um, so, but there were many adult converts, many people believing in Jesus, confessing him as Lord and being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, we see uh, Philip doing this. Um, he's sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch confesses Jesus as Lord. And then he's like, there's water right there. Why should I need to be baptized right now? And Philip's like, all right. So he baptizes him right on the spot. It's a wonderful picture of the growth of the church. And in fact, we will talk about this passage when we talk about sacramental evangelism, which is a big way we need to grow as a church. I pray that in coming years, we see a lot of adult baptisms, people confessing Jesus as Lord, as adults. That is so important. Luke also records the baptism of entire households, entire households. In our Acts 16 reading this morning, the Philippian jailer converts to Jesus based on the example of Paul and Silas and the power of God all around him. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And they respond, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Isn't that interesting? Based on the faith of the dad, the jailer in this case, his entire household would be saved. 
Peter preached this in his Pentecost sermon, and it's lived out right here. This reminds me of something that St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7.14, that children are made holy based on the belief at least one parent. That children are made holy based on the belief of just one of their parents. It also reminds me of a quote from an early church pastor named um, Hippolytus, who said that at baptism, if there are children who cannot answer for themselves, let their parents answer for them or someone else from their family. In short, the faith of the jailer or of any Christian parent operated like a covering of sorts to children who could not answer for themselves. Their faith applied to their children, just as their last name could apply to their children or their DNA could apply to their children. At any rate, the jailer didn't just believe, he was baptized. He and his whole family on the spot. The night he believed, everyone was baptized from adults all the way down to infants, if there were any. There were very likely small children who didn't know what was happening, at the very least. Those household baptisms are frequent in scripture and church history and account for about half of all the baptisms recorded in the book of Acts. The likelihood that none of these households had any babies or at the very least kids who had little to zero idea what was happening or about the gospel at that moment is very low. Imagine the Philippian jailer saying to Paul and Silas, by all means, baptize me, my wife, all my children, but not the children. They're not at the age of accountability yet. Um, They can't articulate their faith just yet. But there are some kids who will never be able to articulate their faith for one reason or another. He didn't say that. Luke tells us that the Philippian jailer's entire house was baptized, that Lydia's entire household was baptized, that Cornelius' entire household was baptized. They were baptized in batches. The parents and the children, the articulate and the inarticulate, the strong and the weak, they all passed through the waters together. They were all delivered together. They were all made the household of faith together. And this is so foreign to our individualistic culture. You might even find it offensive. Does this mean that those infants and children never um, have the honor of choosing the Christian faith on their own? Were they just automatically like saved without being personally converted by the Holy Spirit? Were they ever held personally accountable before God for saying Jesus is Lord? These are also great questions and important ones. Each infant or child who is baptized on account of their parents' faith will eventually have a choice to make. After years of catechesis, which we'll talk about in two weeks, um, and nurture in the Christian faith, they can choose to say yes or no to Jesus. They can choose to receive the gift of salvation, which is offered to them, or say no to it, no to the inheritance. Um, The rite of confirmation, which is also part of our series, we'll explain it, is an opportunity for these grown children of God who were once baptized to publicly affirm their personal faith in Jesus and the gospel. It is a very important part of the Christian journey to convert, to say yes to Jesus, and to make it public. When our kids turned one year old, they were still too small to know it was their birthday. The whole concept of presence was like not, you know, like did not compute. Um, 
we still gave them presents. We still wrapped the presents for them. And in fact, when it was time for them to open the presents, we were like, okay, we like took their chubby little hand and like, you know, okay, we're going to open the present now, you know, and they're like, what, you know, um, guess what? We don't have to do that anymore. They opened the presents, um, with joy. Um, so in baptism, each child or infant is given the gift of salvation and their parents open it on their behalf. If there's at least one believing child, one believing parent, but eventually the child will have an opportunity to open that same gift on their own. They'll have the ability in many cases, and they will have the opportunity. Um, Sometimes they don't. And that's just the plain fact of it. You can be baptized at the age of two weeks old or 92 years old and still walk away from the gift given to you by Jesus. You can say yes to it and then say no to it, or it can be given to you as an infant and you can say, you know what? I do not receive this gift. What does the church do in that sense? We entrust them to God. We pray for them. We hold out hope for them. You uh, will probably have more questions after what I've presented. Um, If you want to explore our teaching on infant baptism more deeply, I commend a book to you called It Takes a Church to Baptize by Scott McKnight. And it does take a whole church to baptize. I want to end with the words of Jesus, the final verse in our gospel reading, verse 17. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. My friend Matthew Mason puts it this way. All baptism is infant baptism. In other words, infant baptism actually shows us our true helplessness before a gracious God. We actually don't come to God with our gifts and our abilities and our good works. We come to him helpless. We come to him utterly in need. And that's why children are for us a visible sign of our true invisible state of helplessness before the living God. We don't receive the kingdom like a rich young ruler. We receive the kingdom like an infant. We receive the kingdom like a helpless child, bringing only our need and our trust. And wherever we believe about infant baptism, we can all say that we come to Jesus with our helplessness. And when we let him love us and receive us, he gives us a childlike heart and he gives us the readiness and the strength and the courage and the love and the open heart to receive every single baby that he sends our way. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.